Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It is great to see you today. Can we welcome our Appleton campus, our online campus, Germantown campus? Just welcome everybody. We are great to see you. And listen, it may be cloudy outside, but I got sunshine going on right here. You know what I'm talking about? Yellow pants. Holla. Don't hate me because you ain't me, right? I'm just saying. And white bucks, for those of you that can't see in Appleton, I'm wearing white shoes. And I, I got to bring it all together, white belt, got it all going on. No socks, keep myself cool. So anyhow, that's just how I roll. Everybody doing well today? Good? It's a great day, man. I woke up this morning, like, ready to be at Life Church, ready to see my Life Church family. And I'm glad that you are here today and glad that you're a part of what's going on. And man, I just, can I just say, I love doing life with you. Like, there is no other place, honestly, Tammy and I talk about this, this is the greatest church, sorry if you don't attend Life Church regularly, if you're watching online, and you know, a hater's gonna hate, but I'm just saying, like, this is the greatest church, and we love being here, love you, love what God's doing, just amazing, amazing, amazing. So, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn me this morning to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, we've been speaking about the persecuted church, and sometimes when we think about this subject, sometimes in America, uh, it's hard for us to understand that, for, for kind of for us to get that, because the reality is, is that we're really not persecuted. And I hope that you'll be back with us next weekend. We've got a guest missionary that's going to be on the uh, platform with me that basically ministers to the persecuted church throughout the world, predominantly in the Middle East, Africa, and Asia, which is where most of the persecution is taking place in our world today. Um, but when we have this conversation, sometimes it's easy for us to, to be distant. And to understand there's between 6 to 7 billion people somewhere on the planet. It depends on who you, who you look at. It's research. And 2.2 um, billion people that are on the planet today are Christ followers. Never has there been more people following Jesus in the history of humanity than today. More people are coming to faith in Christ today than ever before. The church is growing, especially internationally, larger and faster than it's ever grown before. But so is population. And so the reality is, is that the job, when you really look at it, continues to grow and then expand. Overwhelmingly, of the 2.2 billion people on the planet that claim to be Christ followers, an overwhelming majority of those people are outside the United States. Almost two-thirds of those exist outside the U.S. And of those, we're told that a um, hundred million Christ followers worldwide today are under an imminent threat of persecution. Meaning that they are physically endangered, their families are physically endangered, their livelihood, their jobs, their whole way of living is completely under attack. Not like uh, someone doesn't like them down the block or someone was mean to them or I I'm saying this is a very hostile um, life-threatening type situation So the persecution that we're talking about here in the first century acts the book of acts is something that's very real today And I just kind of want to remind us for this because this is the question that you get Well, then why does God allow persecution if we're his church? universally and he said he, we're the bride of Christ, and he's going to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then why does he allow it in the first century or the 21st century? It's a great question. And here's the reality. Persecution of the church always produces growth and expansion. Historically, every single time. When the church is under persecution, it grows. It expands. 
It's, it's actually kind of how it works. And it's not really because of God. It's more about us. See, here's the reality. It was the persecution of the church in the first century in the book of Acts that drove them from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus told them before he ascended, it's what we call the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. And he tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in the same setting, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts. Well, what happened in, in, in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2? They, they had this incredible experience with God. And they did in the first century what we do in the 21st century. And that is, is whenever God shows up, we kind of just want to like build a monument to God. We kind of just want to stay there. We just kind of want to move there. We just kind of want to do it because it's kind of home base. And what happens is, is it's just very comfortable. It's just very much, we know people, we like people. We, God showed up, he, he did something. And, and, and it's just like your home. It's, if you've ever traveled for an extended period of time, there's nothing like coming home to your house, right? To your bed to your toilet, I'm just saying that, especially if you travel international, thank God, I mean, I've been to some crazy places in the world, it just to have indoor plumbing is amazing, and, and I'm not talking about Arkansas, I'm just talking about crazy places in the world, right? <laughs> when I was a kid going to college, I mean, hey, even to today, if I go home to my parents' house, I love it, you know why? It's all about me. My mother calls me up and says, son, mama, and, and she says, what, and she asked me the question that I love to hear. You probably can guess this. What do you want to eat? <laughs> well, Mom, so glad you asked. So I put together a complete menu of every day. I'm going to arrive at this time, and here's what I'd like to have. Usually it begins with white beans and cornbread with ham hock in it and a lemon icebox pie, my favorite pie. It's on the cover of Southern Living Magazine. Matter of fact, I got one last night from John Field's mother made me. She's from Texas, East Texas, so she knows how to make this stuff. Lemon icebox pie. It's in my refrigerator at my home right now. And none of you are going to have it, and it's amazing. <laughs> Anyhow, so my mom makes me that. And, and then for breakfast, mom, the next morning, I'd like to have biscuits and gravy and uh, sausage. Eggs, fine, but I really want to just OD on that. And, and, then, and, then, and then at 4 o'clock, I want to go to the catfish house in Jonesboro. It's not, here's her, here's her slogan. Do you look, check, watch this. 90 feet of all you can eat. <laughs> you had me at hello. So we're going to, I just, I plan it. And then, and then here, but, 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 but the reality, the reason why I like all that, it's about me. It's what I want, right? And, and here, here's, the, here's the bottom line. We all are like that. We all have a natural inclination inward. It's why God told us the great commandment to love, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because we don't have any problem with loving us. Right? You looked in the mirror this morning, you said, man, good morning, good looking. Hey, right? Isn't that what you said? No? I understand why some of you didn't, but some of you, right? It's okay. You know, it's just a deal, man. We, and so there's this natural, and, and what God understands is in order to get them to go beyond Jerusalem, which was home, to the uttermost parts of the world, he was going to have to allow some things to push them out, to scatter them. And, 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 and so, so the, here, here, here's the reality. Let me go to my next thing. Is that as a church grows, here's the problem with growth. Is that growth or expansion produces tension. Growth or expansion produces tension. You have a family of three. 
you, your spouse, and a little one, and you live in a two-bedroom apartment, and all of a sudden, number four, excuse me, number three's on the way, and you find out number three are twins, you've got tension. Do you understand? You have no room. Where are you going to put these kids? All three in one room? What are you going to do? Now, I don't know how many, I grew up in, I grew up in an 1,100-square-foot house with one toilet, right, with one bathroom. So, I mean, I, it's like, hey, man, we, we got more square footage today than we know what to do with. But the reality is, is that tension happens in any organization, in any family, in any church, in any relationship. When there's growth and when there's expansion, tension begins to happen. There, there's, there, there's a tenseness. We, we've got to figure out, you know, we've got more kids than we know what to do with in life kids. And we, we, we've got more people than we have services. And, and we, 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 we run out of parking space or we run out of this. Run, and, and there creates a, a certain tension. And every mother that dropped your children off at Life Kids today, you looked in that room and you said to yourself, Self, is there enough room for my baby and is my baby going to be taken care of? Especially if it was baby number one. If it was baby number one, you may still be in the room. If it was baby number two, you thought about that. Baby number three, they unbuckled themselves from the car seat and walked in and checked themselves into life kids. It's how it works. But there's tension. And that's not right or wrong. It's just reality. Because we're trying to figure out how to navigate this changing landscape. And so in every church, so this, this applies to organizations and relationships, but because we're in church, though, let's just talk about church. In every church, as a church grows... There are problems to be solved and tensions to be managed. And there's a difference between the two of those things. You're going to see it today. There are problems to be solved and tensions to be managed. And if you try to manage a tension, or excuse me, you try to manage a problem, it's just going to make it grow. It's not going to fix it. And if you try to solve a tension, you're never going to eradicate it, and you're just going to frustrate yourself. Case in point, Acts chapter 5. We began this series talking about Stephen, the first martyr of the New Testament church. And the reason why Stephen was brought to prominence was because of the fact that the Greek widow women were not getting their fair share of allotment of the food and services that the church was providing. And so they began to complain. And so there is a problem. If you try to manage those widow women, you're, gonna have a, you're really going to have big issues. And so you, can't, you cannot manage that. You need to fix the problem. They're not getting what they need, what you've told them they're going to get, so you need to fix it. So they basically chose seven men from among themselves that would all minister to them. Why? Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Amen? Right? Don't manage mama. Do you understand this? Yes? No? You will if you try to do that, okay? You don't manage mama. You, you, you meet the need and take care of it. What you're going to see in Acts chapter 9, verse 31 and following, is attention that you cannot solve, you just have to manage. Because what happens, remember this, what happens with all of us, we're just like the church in the first century. We like church our way. It's kind of like Burger King, my way, right away now. We want to do it the way we want it, right? We, we don't want someone telling us what we need. We want to choose. We want to select. We want to pick. And this isn't an American issue. This is a human issue right? We think about us first. We just do. And, and we tend to do things the way we like them done. We just do. And if we don't like someone or we feel uncomfortable, we tend to get out of the situation. Psychology 101, fight or flight. Most of us are not going to fight. We're just going to go, I'll leave. I'm love or not a fighter. And so that is a tension as a church continues to grow. Persecution begins to change. Even in the world in which we live in, these are tensions that we're having to deal with. Not right, not wrong. They're just reality. And so I want to look at this today because I want you to understand, too, the other thing, too, that we see in this is that the leadership that God uses is, makes a huge difference because the leader understands the difference between a problem to solve and attention to manage. That's why God gives us leadership. 
And it's not a person. It's, there, there needs to be accountability. You're going to see this in, 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 as we walk through this. But they bring clarity to the situation. They give direction. And so today, as we walk through this, here's, here's the tension that we're seeing. If you just want to nail it down to one tension, and this is the tension of every growing church. It's the tension of insiders versus outsiders. Insiders versus outsiders. Insiders. It's the church. It's how we do it. It's how we like it. It's what we do. And then all of a sudden, new people start coming in. And when new people come in, new people can change things. And so, and, that's, and, and there is this tension between us and them. And in our language, if we're not careful even to today, we have this tension between us and them. So I want to show you this. I just want to walk this through, and you're going to see this. But this is true in, in families. Uh, this is true, very true in blended families. This is true in, um, in businesses or organizations, but, it, but it's very applicable to where we are and the world in which we live in, especially as it relates to the church, uh, which we're a part of, and we are. So Acts chapter 9, verse 31, if you have it there, if you don't, it's going to be on the screen. We're just going to kind of walk through this. It gives us kind of this story, of this, this tension as the church continues to grow and expand of insiders versus outsiders. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Things are good. Everybody's doing well. It grows. But I want you to notice where it's growing. Judea, Galilee, Samaria. All Jewish areas. All places that the disciples and the apostles had been with Jesus. It was home. It was just home base. Look at verse 32. And Peter, so he's going to go out and do something great. He traveled about the country. Again, never leaving Israel. So it would be kind of like in the context of Wisconsin. He traveled about the state of Wisconsin. He didn't deal with those Chicago people and the people in the flatlands in Illinois. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't mess with the people in Minneapolis and the, the Viking or Vikings fans. He didn't mess with those people. Don't love me. All right. He, you know, he, he just... He, what he, he stayed in his own territory. It's what I want you to understand. Why? Because, again, it's this natural tension that happens. And the ministry that he's doing are basically to the saints. And so he goes, sees, and, and he has, there's a divine healing encounter with Aeneas and with Tabitha. And, and, yeah, people are getting saved, but it's a byproduct. It's kind of like a byline. It's not the reason why he's going out to reach people far away from God. It's, it's not going out to, 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 to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. It's simply going to minister to the saints. These are all people who are Jewish Christ followers. They're all Jews obeying the Old Testament law that God gave Moses that believed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They're us. They look like us. They talk like us. They dress like us. They walk like us. They're us. And so it's that type of, of, of a deal. And I'm just saying this because I've lived in Wisconsin 13 winters now. That's kind of how I keep up with it. And uh, 12 plus years. Don't you know they're eight. We're going to go up to the lakes, going to have a good time. going to go fishing, going to have a really good time. I, I get it. And I know some of you kind of get thrown off by my accent from Racine County because I'm from the south, the southern part of the state. But the reality is, is that we... Wherever you are in the world, we like for people to talk like us and look like us and do things the way we do things. That's a natural human tendency. That's not a Wisconsin issue or an American issue or a Jewish issue. It's a people issue. And, but I do think in a state like Wisconsin, it's very homogenous. Most people that live here are from here. 
And, and I'm telling you, I have this conversation all the time with people. Hey, how'd you come to Life Church? How are, you, are you from around here? No, I live, I'm from, I, we, we moved here from Glendale. I'm thinking in my mind, Glendale, Arizona, right? Phoenix Cardinals, or Glendale, California. And they're like, oh, no, no, Glendale. I'm like, Glendale, Bayshore, Glendale, where California Pizza Kitchen is, where I just had lunch this week? 30 minutes, yeah, but we moved back. This is Milwaukee, people. So, so, so my, my point is, is we think like that. Do you understand that 70% of people in, in this area, we worship, work, and live in the same county? The third shortest commute time of any major metropolitan city in America? We do life in these villages, in these, in these counties, in these very air, various areas. Nothing wrong with it, but we, if anybody should get what we're talking about today, we should get it. So this is all happening. And so it's not really focused. And then in chapter 10, God sends a huge change. Check this out. Chapter 10, verse 1. He sends an Italian to change everything. Look at this. Rocky Balboa. I'm just teasing. So chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So he's a Roman citizen, right? He and his entire family were devout God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, let me give you just a little backstory here. So, he's an Italian, and so he's going to talk different than the Jews. His, his traditions are going to be a bit different. Uh, you know, he, he's going to have great cannolis, but, but he, he's, he's just going to be different. And if you've been around Italian people, they're very expressive, and, and there's a lot of love, and, and uh, uh, um, it's just... There's a guy that attends Life Church. I love him, Vinny. And, and he, he, he will see me in a supermarket. And he goes, I love that man right there. I just love him. He changed my life. And I feel like, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. You know, you have one of those moments. I don't make Vinny mad because I don't want a horse head in my bed or something, right? You understand what I'm saying? But I just love him. I, I can't help but love him because he's just loud and he's boisterous. And, and he lets everybody know that's my pastor and I love him. And I just want to go, man, could you just come and just teach everybody how to? Anyhow. It's one of those deals. So this is the kind of individual. I want you to catch this because you're going to see the, 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 the kind of clash of the culture in just a minute. And so this is what's happening. He believes in Jehovah God, but he doesn't yet know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's important to understand. All of the Jews that are being converted up to this point, the conversions have all basically taken place from people who are Jewish, who are living in Jerusalem or thereabouts, or they're coming into Jerusalem, and they understand the Old Testament, as you and I as Christians would call it, the law that God gave Moses, and they obey by the law, and they're God-fearing people, and they hear about Jesus Christ, and they accept Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior. But they're not Christ followers. Good people... Love God, but don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, stop for a minute. Do you know people like that? Sure you do. There are all kinds of people that live around us who acknowledge God. They're not atheistic or agnostic. They, they, they're good people. They, they're kind. But they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because no one's ever told them. I'll never forget being in a setting with Roger Erickson in Cedarburg where he was sharing a testimony and the individual came forward that he was sharing a testimony in a setting of Christian businessmen of a gentleman who had not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ. Roger engaged him in a relationship. And out of that relationship, this gentleman gives his heart and life to Jesus Christ. 
And here's what he said, a 50-year-old businessman in Cedarburg. He held the Bible in his hand and held it up, and he goes, this is the first Bible I've ever owned. And I looked at my wife. We'd been here probably 18 months, and I just said, this is why we're here. And I don't know that man, Roger Erickson, but I love him. He is a brother from another mother. I am going to get to know him because what his heart is, which is to, because that's the world we live in. We're, it's like the Doobie Brothers, man. Jesus is all right with me, but I have no personal relationship with him. I'm okay with God the Father. I have no personal, I help somebody out, but I don't personally know Jesus. That's where Cornelius is. It's also very important to understand that Cornelius is a Gentile, which means he's not Jewish. And for the Jews to have any interaction with the Gentiles was against the Old Testament law because the Jews looked at themselves as first-class citizens and the Gentiles, everybody else, as second-class citizens. So God tells Cornelius in verses 3 through 8 to basically go and send for Peter. He doesn't know Peter, just go send for Peter. Meanwhile... Peter's having his own experience in verse 9 through 16. Let's read this. At about noon, the following days, they were journeying, the guys coming from Cornelius' house, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry. I feel, I feel you, Peter, right there, man. I'm with you. And wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. You ever been so hungry you fell into a trance? Happens to me all the time. He saw heaven open up, something like a large sheep being let down from the four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. The voice of the Lord, the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, surely not, Lord. So it's God speaking. I have never seen, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. See, according to the law, the Old Testament, all those animals would have been unclean, forbidden to eat. You could not eat them. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up into heaven. So we see, hey, Peter's in prayer. He's hungry. A vision comes to him. We, we know that it, it comes from heaven, which means it's from God. He hears the voice of the Lord. He sees animals that are unclean according to the Old Testament law, which means he could not eat. God tells him to eat. Peter says no. Interesting dynamic. Again, tensions began to mount over this issue. And God says, hey, what I say is clean is okay. And the vision occurs three times. Anytime you see something three times in Scripture or something, it's meant to give you highlight or to bold it, to get its attention. Even a doctrine, we don't embrace a doctrine anywhere in the Christian world unless it's, unless it's in three separate definitive places in Scripture. Why? Because you can take any verse of Scripture or any passage and twist it to make it what you want to if you take it out of context. But when you see it substantiated three different times, it, it, it basically substantiates the fact that it is a doctrine. It, there's a truth to this that God intends. It's important to get that. Verse number 19, let's keep reading. The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. These are guys coming from Cornelius' house. And so get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate, go, go with them, for I have sent them. Peter doesn't know why. He doesn't get it, but all he knows is that there's been three occurrences of unclean that God basically has said, this is clean, you need to embrace this, and then there are three Gentiles that show up at the door. Think that's by accident? No way. So they're Italians, they all drive off in their Ferraris and Maseratis, and they go to Cornelius' house. That's how I like to read it. If you want to say they walked in their Birkenstocks, that's fine too, but they weren't Birkenstocks then, okay? So... And then, and, and I want you to look at how the response is from Peter in verse 28 of Acts chapter 10 as he shows up at Cornelius' house. Just think about this. Never met him. Here's, open the door. The guys say, hey, Cornelius, here's Peter. 
You are all well aware it's against the law for a Jew, that's him, to associate with a Gentile, that's you. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call anybody impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising objection. May I ask well, why you sent for me? Well, hello. Nice to meet you, Peter. Do you, do you, do you, see, we read over this. You need to understand, he's walking into another man's home who God has sent him, and he shows up and says, Look, I'm better than you. You are trash in my sight, but God told me it's okay to show up at your house. So what do you need? <laughs> That's what he's saying. The Jews, you got to understand, they believed because they were God's chosen people, they were better. If you meet anyone who's a practicing Jew, they look down upon you because you're not a Jew. It's, 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 so this was taught. This was part of, it's still part of the law because those who don't, uh, that don't accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah, they're still practicing the old, the old covenant, the Old Testament, the law of Moses. And so this wasn't a wrong thing. This was just how they did things. And they had an open prejudice. And so it was against the law for them to be seen with someone who was a Gentile. It was against the law for them to do that. And, and so what's happened is radical. Again, the tension is mounting. And Peter does not go alone. Why? Because he's going to make sure he has witnesses. Cornelius sends three people with to, to get Peter. Peter brings six guys with him. I'm going to do a two to one. These guys take me out. It's going to come down with a with a with a big fight, right? I mean, we're, we're I I don't know what I'm about to walk into, so I'm not going to go in by myself. So not really warm and fuzzy. There's no like. There's no Jesus in this moment. How can I help you? I had an incredible vision and. God told me that I'm supposed to come with you, and so there must be something great. And how are you, Cornelius? And is this your wife? And these are your children. It's wonderful, and it's great. And yeah, let's, you know. No! It is like, I'm here because God said to be here. I really don't want to be here. You people disgust me. Well, hello, you know. And so Cornelius, I love it. Look at verse 30 through 33. We're going to read this. He responds, just basically unfaith. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said Cornelius God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor now remember Cornelius follows God Jehovah God but has no personal relationship with Jesus Christ he doesn't understand all of that verse 32 send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter he's a guest at the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea so I sent for you immediately and it was good for you to come now that we're all here so it's, it's not just Cornelius, it's his entire family, entourage, everybody. Uh, in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. God hasn't commanded for him to tell him anything at this point. Now I just want to stop here, just push pause, give you a parenthetical thought. God reveals himself to Cornelius the same way God reveals himself to Saul on the road to Damascus we talked about last weekend. And it very much smacks of what I gave you three weeks ago when we began this series. Remember the Muslim individual who lives? This just happened. The missionary, I'm on the conference call. That's a private call. That he's out, he had to go out of the country in order to make the call to talk to us. Couldn't tell us the name of the city. I can't give you any of that information. I can't tell you the number of mosques because it's on the radar that if, if they understand that this is happening, that people are becoming Christ followers in the middle of this prominent uh, Middle Eastern city, that people's lives would be in danger. And there's a gentleman who comes home to find his wife and his son reading the Bible in the kitchen. And when he realizes what's going on, he takes them and he beats his wife and hospitalizes her. He beats his son unconscious and hospitalizes him. And 
when the wife gets home from the hospital, she looks at him and she says, listen, I love you and God loves you. And I just want you to know that and I forgive you. A few days later, his son is released from the hospital, says the exact same thing to him. Dad, I love you and forgive you and God loves you. That night, he has a dream, a vision, where God shows up. He says, I see a man, and he knows it's Jesus. It's, he's in this white robe, he's, he's gleaming, and he says, your wife and your son have both communicated to you that I love you and that they love you and forgive you. And so, and I want you to hear this from me. I love you. The next day, the man immediately goes, gives his life to Christ, and is baptized. This happens over and over and over again. Talk to missionaries in the last year that are in Muslim hotbeds or in very much hostile to Christianity areas in the world, or you read from missionaries 100, 200 years ago. It's the same stuff. It's God reveals himself. It's called revelation. He reveals himself, and he pre, it's not like a precursor of what's happening. That's exactly what's happened to Saul. That's exactly what's happening to Cornelius here. God shows up and says, man, I've heard your prayers, and I know that you love me, but there is someone that you need to meet. His name is Jesus, but doesn't explain the whole thing. He just says, you need to get sent for Peter. Peter will come and will tell you. And immediately when Cornelius leaves it there at the end of verse 33, so now we're here, tell us everything that God's commanded you. Well, what has God commanded you? It hits Peter. I know why I'm here. When I stood with Jesus, Acts 1-8 records it, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all Jewish areas, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth, non-Jewish areas. So just as Revelation and God revealing himself to Cornelius, this man that's not yet a Christ follower, he's also turning the light on with Peter. And the Bible records in verse 34 through 43, I won't read it because of time, that Peter presents the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then God shows up. This is how it works. I love this. Look at verse 44. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. So there's a, remember, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he seals you. Our salvation, according to Philippians, is sealed with the Holy Spirit. So there's a salvation experience that's taking place. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished, the six, that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles. Even these crazy, trashy people God loves. That's kind of what that means, right? Verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues, so they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water since they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Wow. And all of a sudden, it connects. All of a sudden, it hits. All of a sudden, they realize, this is what this is Jesus meant. This is what's going on. I love the end of verse 48. Look at it. Then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. I bet they did. You ever been around crazy people speaking in tongues? I'd be asking some questions, too. It's like, whoa, let's get a little bit more wine in here, and let's have a conversation about this. This is crazy. It's kind of like one of those Desi Arnaz moments where it's like, Rusi, you got some explaining to do. You know what I'm saying? And this is like, we need to talk about this. And the Bible says that Peter stays with them for a few days. But then the church responds. Again, the tension continues to mount. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. And the apostles and the believers throughout Judea, the Jewish world, heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, I love even the verbiage it's up to and down to. It it, it it denotes this, this, this mentality. 
when he goes up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers. So circumcision was an outward expression of holiness according to the law, the Old Testament. Criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised, unholy men and ate with them? You see the tension? The insider versus the outsider. Like, this is exclusive to us. This is our gig. This is our thing. You don't go over there. You don't go to that church. You don't go to those people. You don't deal with that. Now, these are the same people that have been with Jesus. What did the religious leaders accuse Jesus of doing? Being a friend of sinners. Hmm. Now, the same people who are following Jesus, who are radically living their lives for Jesus, are accusing another one of their brethren for doing the same thing that the religious elect accused Jesus of doing. It's interesting. Why? Because there's always a natural pull inward. And as a church begins to do what God wants us to do, and that's focus outward, there will be people that are different than us, that talk different than us, that look different than us. You may look down upon them. You're wrong if you do, but you may in your own natural prejudice do that. But God will continue to draw them. Why? Because he's trying to expand us. He's trying to grow us as individuals and as a congregation, not just numerically, but spiritually, to understand that red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves all people. He didn't just come to save Americans. He didn't just come to save Middle Easterners. He didn't just come to save Europeans or Africans. He, he, he came to save all of us. He came for the entire world. Not when we loved him did God come, but when we were yet sinners, dead in our sins, dead in our transgressions, when we were diametrically opposed to the plan and the will and the love of God, that's when God gave his one and only son. And Paul says in the, in the book of Romans, it is not his judgment, his harshness, his rule following, the law that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness. It's the grace of God. When will we ever understand that? Here's the deal is, they were wrestling with it then, we wrestle with it today. Why? Because it's all about me. I like church the way I want it. I want to be around my church friends. I want to hang out with my church small group. I want to do things my way. All of us. And at the end of the day, God is always allowing that tension to be there. Why? Because it stretches us and it grows us. A non-growing church has problems to solve, not tensions to manage. You've been in a church that's got problems? It's small. Not that it's small, it's not growing. So it's not growing, there's no tension, so all of a sudden we're going to fight over the color of the wall, we're going to fight over the color of the carpet, we're going to fight over this and that, and how this is spent and that's spent. But when a church is growing, you don't have time to fight over those things issues because those are not the problems that you deal with because there's tensions to manage. We've got to make sure we have enough people in this ministry. We've got to make sure we've got enough square footage over here. We've got to make sure that we're doing this. How are we going to pay for this? How are we going to facilitate what God is doing in our midst? Understand? That's exactly what's happening. All of a sudden, these Jewish believers that have Jesus, God's now sending them to the uttermost parts of the earth. He told them he's going to do it, but it's reality. And Peter tells in verses 4 through 16 of Acts chapter 11 the story that we just read. In verse 17, it gives us insight to Peter's mindset, his, the summary of the situation. He says this, So if God gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift that he gave us, the Jews, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
Can I just tell you, God will always do things, biblically based, because if you read what Peter tells him in the explanation in chapter 11, verses 4 through 16, there's three different times he quotes scripture, quotes the word of God. Again, it's important to understand the numbers of times. He is not taking something out of context. Everything he's saying is biblically based. So we never elevate our experience. Well, God said, well, how do you know God said? Give me chapter and verse. Peter does that. It's important to understand that. Never, never elevate your experience or never allow someone else to elevate their experience over God's word. No, God's word is, pre- is predominant. Look, if something that I say is elevated over God's word, take your stuff and leave. Something's wrong. Do you understand? We're just people. So it's God's word that's preeminent. But I want you to understand, he substantiates it with God's word. But even in that context, there will be times when God will do things and move in ways that you don't really completely understand. There will be times that we just can't explain it. But do you want a God that you can completely explain away? I don't. I want a God that puts his super on my natural. And sometimes I just go, it's a miracle. I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, he saved so-and-so. I have no idea how Kevin Nash got saved. It is the grace of God. Amen. Seriously, there are things in my life I, I, I don't understand, and I'm okay with that. Why? Because it's a tension. Do you have questions? Sure I do. Tensions to manage. This time of eternity, I'm going to know in part and understand in part, and I'm okay with that because I know what I need to know. But God is God, and he is so far beyond my little peon intellect that I just have to go, it's by faith that I'm saved, by the grace of God, lest I become boastful. Boastful of what? That I can figure God out. And look at the church's response in verse 18. This is how we should always respond respond as God brings outsiders, for lack of a better word, into the church. When they heard this, they had no further objections. Why? Because he'd give them chapter and verse and an explanation. And they praised God, saying, So then, to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. We always will lean inward. God will always lead us outward. And this is a tension that we always manage. If we're going to be what Jesus calls us to be, if we're not just going to be a holy huddle, if we're really going to go into all the world, if we're really going to be known by our love one for another, if we're really going to share the love of Jesus Christ, we've got to be comfortable that there's just going to be sometimes people that come into our midst that we don't completely understand. And there may be things sometimes that we don't completely get. And they may not look like us and talk like us and walk like us. But we got to get over our prejudice. They'll go on to debate this subject of circumcision because it's an, an ideology or a theology of holiness. And so they're like, well, when these guys are getting saved, we need to make sure they're circumcised? Well, I thank God I live in the first century, amen? <laughs> if you don't know what circumcision is, just Google, Google that. But do it on your own time, okay? Don't do it in a room of people. But I'm just saying, it's a deal of, at the end of the day, it's, why? Because they're wrestling with these external things. Not understanding that God is dealing with the heart. That's how we operate, people. We always look on the outside and we size people up. But God doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the heart. Because it's out of my heart, David says, that flows the issues of my life. It's out of my heart that things come. It's by my heart that I choose to follow Jesus. It's from my heart that I live a life that's recklessly abandoned unto God. It's not how cleaned up I am on the outside. It's what I look like on my heart. 
Whether you look as dapper as I do today with white bucks and yellow, I know you love all this. Or you're just in a pair of flip-flops and a t-shirt and shorts, which is what I wish I was wearing because I am sweating profusely right now. God doesn't care. So God doesn't care what I wear to church? No! Cover it up. I don't know why I need to see it, but be modest. But I mean, you know, don't come to church naked, amen? But, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because God's looking here. As we look around the world and we see what God's doing around the world, we need to remember that. We need to remember that. He didn't just come to save us in Appleton, in Germantown, in Wisconsin. He came to save the entire world.